Well, 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 well. Hello, folks, and welcome to We the Peeps, a, a very special mini series beginning today. She the Peeps. What's up? Welcome on in. Uh, this is the American Soccer Podcast, in which you're going to get to know everything, everything, everything that you must know about, in this case, the women's national team. I'm Clayton. I'm a musician. And I'm Kwame. I'm a doctor. And we love the Nets. Especially when there's a World Cup on the horizon. Yeah. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Welcome, folks, to another exciting Rastapod. But of course, this is a very special Rastapod. It's She the Peeps. In case you haven't uh, been listening to the past few episodes, if this is your first time tuning into the stream, uh, we are doing a special mini series featuring myself and Kwame the Kwaminator, Kwamdas himself, um, about the women's national soccer team. Normally, it's Ty and I uh, discussing the men's team, but with an actually good team in our country and a World Cup right around the corner, we thought, what the hey, let's give this a shot. So uh, we're going to try it out. Join this ride with us if you'd like. Um, and uh, if not, then whatever, dude. That's weird. You're a weirdo. Okay, uh, the first, there, there are a couple uh, housekeeping things to note as we dive into this. I gotta say, I'm really excited, Kwame. I really, truly am. And, and let me start by thanking you so much uh, for doing this and being willing to come on the show and help us all out with your knowledge. Uh, happy to be here. Always happy to talk soccer with anyone, so. That's what's up. Uh, guys, keep in mind that Kwame doesn't, isn't really uh, making any claims, does not purport to be the world's expert on the women's national team. He is indeed uh, the person who, is, who I am friends with who knows the most about this team, and uh, he's also a friend of the show. So that's why Kwame, um, but just know that in advance. Also, uh, worth acknowledging is that we are indeed two dudes talking gnats. Um, and this is a, a women's team, uh, and female voices are crucially important. So if you're just getting to know the women's team, we recommend that you do check out uh, some podcasts featuring female voices. Kwame, can you tell us a, a little bit about those? Sure. So uh, two podcasts to uh, augment your knowledge about the women's team. Uh, one is Two Drunk Fans, um, which is a SoundCloud podcast um, with uh, two women talking women's soccer, both domestic league as well as the national team. And that's been going on for a number of years. And then for a one-off podcast, uh, ESPN FC just did a podcast this past Friday where they interviewed uh, three uh, veterans of the women's team, uh, Kate Margraff, Christine Lilly, Brandy Chastain, talking about memories of the World Cup from 20 years ago and how they see the state of the team. Uh, and other things um, in the world of women's soccer. And that was a really good episode. So um, some additional voices there. Fantastic. We love that. Uh, but without, oh, one more thing is, if you'd like, if you're a social media typey, typey, tappy, tappy type, then check us out on Twitter at WTP Pod. That's Wilbur Tango Pizza Pod. Um, do that. Reach out to us. Hang out with us. We love that. So much. Oh, and also, uh, if you enjoy this mini-series, uh, and if you continue with us and you enjoy the show at large, please do shoot us a five-star review. It's mega helpful. It helps us in so many ways that you can't even imagine. Type some words in there, why not? And you might find them read on the show, on this very air, by a celebrity of some kind. Let's do this thing, shall we? It's a Rastapod time. It's a motherfucking Rastapod. Folks, uh, first and foremost... A little bit of context. We're going to be talking about the She Believes Cup, which occurred from February 27th to March 5th. So those games are done and dusted. We'll talk about those. And then we are going to be looking forward to our uh, exciting friendlies versus, of course, Australia on the 4th and Belgium on April 7th. Um, so that's what we're talking about. And the roster that we'll be reading from is for specifically those two friendlies. Just so you know, uh, the She Believes Cup started with uh, the Nats versus Japan. That was a 2-2 draw uh, with a couple goals from Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan. 
then there was another 2-2 draw versus England in the She Believes Cup. Again, uh, a goal from Rapino. Are we going Rapino or uh, Rapino on that one, Kwame? Uh, Rapino. Rapino. Got it, yes. got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath. Uh, and lastly, uh, our, our good, solid, uh, actually good Nats uh, defeated Brazil. Fantastic. one nothing. Uh, Tobin Heath goal in that one. Folks, line them up. Line up elites. Let's do this thing. Who do we got this camp? Starting with goalkeepers. And feel free to interject with any uh, name notes uh, if, if you'd like. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best here. And just I, I am indeed getting to know these players, some of them for the very first time. So bear with me. But let's learn together. Okay. Goalkeepers. Adriana French. We're going to have Ashlyn Harris and Alyssa Nair, as in rhymes with hair. Uh, defenders. Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Crystal Dunn, Isha Girl, Allie Krieger, Becky Sauerbrunn, Casey Short, and Emily Sonnet. Sonnet? Sonnet? Sonnet. Sonnet. Got it. Got it. I'm on it. Like Sonnet. In the midfield, we're going to have Julie Ertz, uh, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Allie Long, Samantha Mewis, Andy Sullivan and Michal Zerboni. Zerboni, is that, is that mm-hmm. right in there? Cool. Yep. And then for forwards, friends, uh, you know him, you love him. It's Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Jessica McDonald, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Mallory Pugh, Rising Star, and of course, Megan Rapino. That's about it. Kwame, uh, what were your first impressions upon hearing this Arasta? Well, my first impressions were that uh, there are very few surprises uh, on this roster. Um, we, at this point, more or less know who Coach Jill Ellis wants as her starting lineup and um, who are the substitutes. Um, the question marks are how she might use uh, different substitutes and different players as part of the lineup. Um, but then there are also uh, a couple of surprise names on this list, which point out some areas in which there are still, I think, some concerns about vulnerabilities that the team has. So not too many surprises, but I think it's a good launching point for some discussions about uh, what happened in the She Believes Cup, what we're anticipating moving forward. Cool. So, yeah, based on the, the She Believes Cup and prior knowledge, what is the standard starting lineup here who are the expected um sort of locked in players here so the expected lineup in goal Alyssa Nair um and then for the defensive line probably Kelly O'Hara at right back who's out injured for this camp um at center back Abby Dahlkemper and Becky Sauerbrunn and then at left back Crystal Dunn in the midfield, a midfield trio of Julie Ertz as the defensive midfielder, Lindsay Horan um, as the box-to-box, and then uh, Rose Lavelle as the sort of attacking number 10 type midfielder. And then for the attacking three, that's about as settled as anything. Megan Rapino on the left, Alex Morgan in the center forward, Tobin Heath on the right. So I guess uh, from the last World Cup, I'm surprised Carly Lloyd's not in that. Uh, has she been... F- aged out is that what's going on yeah i think it's a combination of a few things carly lloyd is i think um probably the oldest um uh person on the team um and so you know her athleticism and legs have diminished a little bit she's still world class but um but not to the same dominating uh extent that it was about four years ago um and i would say some people have come along and surpassed her Fair enough. So who are the names on this roster that you were surprised by? And what does that say about what Jill Ellis's sort of concerns? What what is she what does that say about where her mind is at? Well, I would say um so one name is Ali Krieger, um, in the defense, um, who is a veteran of the World Cup um and the national team, uh, I think she's in her mid thirties, um, and really hasn't been called in for a team the last two years or so, I think. Um, but she's very experienced. She has 98 caps with a team. Um, but her coming in at this late juncture, you know, a couple months before the world cup, after not being called in for a couple of years, 
points to the biggest weakness area for the team, which is at fullback, both at right and left fullback, which is a common theme for American national teams, it seems. Uh, and Kelly O'Hara, as I mentioned, is out for this camp with an injury. She's who we'd expect to start at right back. Uh, but she's been battling injuries for the past couple of years. Uh, and I don't think that Jill Ellis has a lot of uh, confidence in our pool at fullback. Um, so, for example, in um, in a game, a friendly game against France before the She Believes Cup, she brought in and started uh, Emily Fox, who's a 19-year-old sophomore at North Carolina. Uh, her first cap was against uh, France in France in front of 20,000 people. Oh, uh, welcome to the big show. Right. So uh, so that is a question mark. Um, you know, Crystal Dunn um, has been used at both left fullback primarily, but also at right fullback. Um, but she's a converted fullback. She, um, for her club team and throughout her, her career, has either been an attacking player, either an attacking number 10 or um, or a wing um, attacker. And so this has been an ongoing process of converting her to left back um, because the team is maybe a little bit uh, shorthanded there. And so bringing Allie Krieger in, um, you know, it it shows that this is a, a, a concern that a lot of fans have about this team at this point. Um, not in the sense that we don't have good players, but in terms of World Cup winning fullbacks, that's what we're still looking for. Right. So Ali Krieger's brought in as the ringer. She's got the experience. Any other uh, names on here you were surprised to see? Um, no other big surprises, no. Um, I would say Ali Long in the midfield is, always, is also someone who is uh, a veteran with a team but has sort of been out of favor the last uh, year or two. Um, so a little bit of a surprise to see her back, um, but not not a shock by any means. All right, all right. So I know that, so we're going into these friendlies. It's versus Australia on uh, Thursday, April 4th, and then versus Belgium on Sunday, April 7th. Um, I know from, from our last conversation, which didn't make this air, but that, that Australia features one of the greatest players in the world, that's exciting, and I kind of assume Belgium's got a strong team, but I don't really know where. Where do we stand going into these friendlies, and where do we stand in the world right now as far as like uh, world rankings? So we're ranked number one in the world, um, and have been um, since we won the last World Cup. I think pretty consistently. Australia, uh, you know, FIFA rankings are always a little bit of a mystery, but Australia is certainly a top five team in the world, um, depending on who you ask, maybe top three. Um, their best player is their um, star striker, Samantha Kerr, um, who uh, was the leading scorer in the uh, uh, NWSL this past season. Um, very strong, very fast uh great scorer. Um, and, but they have a very solid, deep, athletic um, tough team that has been together for a while. So they're they're a challenge in there. They have a legitimate shot to win the World Cup. And then Belgium? Belgium is uh, not a team that I know a lot about. They didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, I would say that they're a team on the rise. Um, as European teams uh, in general um, are catching up very rapidly, um, investing more and more into their women's teams, um, and building on the framework that's starting to be put into place for competitive women's club soccer in Europe. Uh, so they didn't qualify, um, but um, there is a number of very technical European teams that are moving up, and it's becoming very competitive. It's not the, uh, the, the one-horse show that it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be for a long time that the U.S. you know was always one of the top two teams in the world, and then there was a rotating kind of revolving door of rivals that would come up. So Norway in the early '90s, and then China, Brazil, and Germany. Um, but it was, and there were other teams that were trying to rise up. But it was always the U.S. and then one big rival for the most part. We're now in a cycle where that's no longer the case, where there are probably five 
are six teams that you could argue have a legitimate chance to win the World Cup. The U.S., Australia, England, France, um, uh, primarily those four, but uh, Canada and um, there's many other teams that are really, really tough. It's exciting, and it shows that the uh, the game on the the women's side is growing. You know, it it should be that way. Um, although it is also, it should be that we are still number one. Well, I think that uh, you know we certainly have a lot of advantages, um, and uh, we I think we yeah, will always expect that? to what be are, number what one. What are the advantages that that led? Why is it ex- in your estimation that the U.S. has had such a stronger team for such a long time? I would say there's a number of reasons that the women's U.S. team was dominant for a long period of time. Um, we have very high numbers of of women girls who play soccer in this country. Um, there is a lot of support for it, a lot of um, money for it. And in a lot of countries, there really wasn't support for women to be able to play soccer at a young age. Um, I would also say that due to things like Title IX, um, women's soccer at the collegiate level um, was really the development bed for the entire world. Um, it would provide a lot of opportunities for American women to play soccer, but also uh, women from all over the world would come uh, play soccer at the university level and then perhaps go back and support their national teams. But the the hub of everything was pretty much the U.S. Um, in more recent years, that has begun to shift in terms of other um, countries, their soccer federations starting to put more time and money and support into uh, women's programs. Um, So at the national team level, we've seen more support. But then also at the club team level, um, for a long time, it was really only the U.S. that was trying to develop a professional women's league. Um, And there have been a couple um, ventures at that, some that have... um, opened and then failed and then tried again. Um, But now we're seeing in Europe in particular um, leagues that are developing and thriving. And also a big advantage for some of these European teams is that they're connecting. They're they're part of the umbrella of these large European teams. So Manchester City has a women's team and Chelsea and Liverpool. And so all of the um, infrastructure and uh, fan base uh, for all of these um, teams that have long legacies of excellence with their men's team are now adding on women's teams to that. And so there's really a lot of fuel being added to fuel to the fire, so to speak. And so you're seeing a lot of growth um, internationally, both in terms of the, um, the technical and uh, infrastructure, but also uh, fan support and attention to these teams. I think it's good. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so she believes cup. We came in second place. We didn't absolutely crush the opposition. Two draws and a win. We came in second behind England. What are you? What do you take from that set of three games? What did you learn about where this team is at? And how does that inform what you're looking for for the friendlies to come? Um, well, so I think um, one way to break this down is maybe to go kind of position by position group um, and uh, highlight some of the things I saw and some of the question marks that came up in my mind. Uh, so one question mark is sort of in the goalkeeper situation. Um, Alyssa Nair is more or less Jill Ellis's locked-in starter. For the past three years, she has gotten 80 to 90% of the starts. Um, and but you would think from that that there was a clear um, that she was clearly above the other two keepers in terms of quality. But I think most people would say that actually it's pretty close and pretty tight. Um, and uh, Adriana French, for example, who plays in the same league as a listener and WSL, um, Adriana French is actually the two-time defending goalkeeper of the year. Um, but despite that, in these three years never got a start and goalkeeper until the She Believes Cup when a listener injured her shoulder um, and had to and had to sit out. Uh, and what came up in that game, which was the game against England, which was Adriana French's first cap, 
is that one of England's goals came off of a really bad mistake on her part, which is she picked up a back pass from uh, from the midfield. Um, and it led to an indirect free kick, and England scored a goal kind of against the run of play. Yeesh, that's uh, not a good look. As a goalkeeper, you wait so long for those opportunities. And if she's doing well, you know she's been waiting for that opportunity. So you, you hate to hear that. That sucks. Right. And that, but that brings up the question of, you know, should this excellent goalkeeper, and no one would question that she's excellent, um, you might prefer a listener who is also a very excellent goalkeeper. You can certainly understand why the coach might prefer a listener. Um, but you question why you wait to give such a good goalkeeper their first cap just a few months before the World Cup in a game against, you know, one of the top five teams in the world. Um, everyone's going to be nervous on their first cap. Um, she hasn't communicated with her back line in a game situation. And all of that came to light with giving up that, that bad goal. And moving forward to the World Cup, uh, if Alyssa Nair was to pick up another injury, as we certainly know injuries are parts of tournaments, or let's say that she had to pick up a red card because she had to um, take down a opposing player to save a goal in, in an elimination round, then you have to bring in a goalkeeper who hasn't gotten caps with this team. Uh, and so it's perhaps a minor consideration given that Alyssa Nair is a very good quality goalkeeper. But um, what I would say is that French... Um, I think part of the reason she was named the goalkeeper of the year is that she can make the athletic outstanding. How did the, how in the world did she save that goal? Um, and she's also very commanding in the box in terms of crosses that come in. And those are areas where a listener doesn't shine quite as much. She's not as good commanding uh, long crosses and she's not as good an athlete as Adriana French. She's an excellent athlete, but Adriana French is sort of, you know, diving backwards, you know, fingertips sort of stave on the deflection. So, yeah. um, and, and although I will say that Alyssa Nair's best game that I've seen her play was in a friendly against France just before the She Believes Cup. So um, we're very strong at goalkeeper. This is perhaps nitpicky around what experience people have given and how she decided to go with one goalkeeper over another. Yeah, but it's important, you know, you only have so many meaningless friendlies and they're only so meaningless. The the opportunity to to get French uh, some some minutes here and get her some comfort, even as a backup, has now passed us. We're looking down the barrel at basically four friendlies, and then uh, and then the World Cup. So there's really not enough time to change it now, um, unless maybe maybe they could have some sort of a discussion with the two and say, look, we're you know we're gonna give Adriana the this, the, like three starts out of these four, uh, just just so that she can get get her comfort level up. Uh, but then Alyssa Nair is going to be the the number one goalkeeper going into the World Cup, maybe something like that. Well, uh, that would be uh, that would be possible with the caveat that it seems like news out of the camp is that Adriana French picked up a minor knee injury, and so probably isn't going to feature in either of these friendlies. Um, I will also. Um, point out that I've been admitting Ashlyn Harris, who is the third goalkeeper in the pool um, and who does have experience and also is a very good goalkeeper and probably um, in terms of characteristics of her goalkeeping is, uh, you know, probably somewhere between Nair and French. Um, So again, we have a lot of depth in the goalkeeper pool. So it's not so much a worry as it is um, a, a question mark of, of, uh, you know, what happens if something happens to Nair, have we given our goalkeepers enough time to sort of gel in and sit with the team and be able to communicate with the back line in a fluid way. Right. And it may be the case with three great keepers that are all within range of each other, not no one single uh, mm-hmm. standout that it's a mo money, mo problems type situation where it becomes more complex. How do you manage their minutes? It would be easier if one of them was the clear standout, but say la vie for La Championes. Am I right? Let's talk uh let's talk defenders, shall we? Yeah, so um as we spoke about before. So we gave up um two goals against uh Japan in the She Believes Cup and two goals against England. 
um, in a friendly against France in France about a month before that. We gave up three goals. Um, and the U.S. is really not used to giving up that many goals against anybody. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a number of things that were at play. Um, but defensively, I would say that we have more question marks with this team than than perhaps other teams in the past. Now, that's not to say that we aren't uh, that we aren't very good and deep and solid. Um, but names to be familiar with. So Becky Sauerbrunn is probably the most important person on the back line. She's the most experienced uh, central uh, center back um, and the organizer of the team. Uh, and then most likely she'll be paired with Abby Dahlkemper, um, who's got a little bit more pace than Sauerbrunn. Um, experience and plays a great long ball out of the back up to the forward lines. That's one of her strengths uh, and really has opened up a lot of teams from that position, uh, which is really valuable, uh, especially when teams might sometimes sit back or not play a high line against us. Um, the other main central defender whose name you'll hear is Tierna Davidson, um, who is another very young player. Um, I think just um, is in the middle of her sophomore or junior year at Stanford, um, but actually just withdrew from Stanford to play professionally. Um, and she um, was uh, coming strongly into the team, and I think many people expected her to be a starter at this World Cup because of her poise on the ball um, and uh, her control and her vision. Uh, but unfortunately, um, earlier this year, she suffered a fractured ankle when playing for Stanford. Um, and she's recently returned, uh, but you know she's lost uh, a lot of time under her belt uh, and is sort of playing her way back into form. And, uh, and so Ellis has been using her at times in the back line, uh, at times playing her at left back, um, either in a back four or sometimes in a back five. Um, so you'll see her, but she's it's not clear if she'll get back to the form where she was before that injury, um, both uh, physically, uh, but also in terms of confidence. Um, you know, that's a tough injury, a fractured bone, uh, and it takes different people a different amount of time to really trust their body fully to sort of explode with that last bit of pace or go hard into that tackle. Um, and so we'll see what happens um, with with how Ellis decides to use Davidson, um, whether as a starting center back, as a left back, back five, back three. Um, there's a lot of different permutations with the back line. Um, and that touches on, I think, again, this sort of sense of we're not quite sure what's our best back four or back five, um, and there are also injury question marks. Um, as I think I said earlier, Kelly O'Hara is probably who we would expect uh, to be um, our starting right back, but um, she's missing this camp due to injury. She missed a lot of the last year due to injury. Um, this is probably going to be a chronic um, thing, uh, so um, who do we put at right back instead? Um, Crystal Dunn can either play left back or right back, but part of what happened in the She Believes Cup, um, part of the reason we gave up more goals than we expect is that a couple times Crystal Dunn perhaps got caught out of position a little bit or there wasn't quite communication with the back line and we were punished for it. And that's not to be expected because Crystal Dunn is primarily an attacker. She's been an attacker her whole career. Um, and when you're converting positions, there are times where there's going to be a little bit of unfamiliarity, but the best teams are going to punish this for it. Yeah, it's tough with the conversions and the injuries. Uh, it's, it's tricky. And is it unclear if the best, if tactically the best formation is four in the back or five in the back? Is that something that's been kind of up for grabs? I think that given what I've seen, um, Ellis is pretty set on a back four. Um, she used the She Believes Cups to flex to a lot of different lineups and, um, and formations, um, but usually not for extended periods of time, usually sort of 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes um, where she would experiment with things, sometimes longer, but usually that amount of time. So I think that she is um, pretty set on a back four. Um, but depending on, but she wants to have 
she wants a very versatile squad. She wants yeah. a team that can adapt to any situation. Yeah. Uh, and so she's done that at times. So I think she knows her back four. Um, but if it's going to be hampered by injury or, you know, suspension, yellow card suspension is always something that uh, comes up potentially in World Cups. And so I think she wants to be ready. Yeah. And she knows enough to know that getting through an entire World Cup, you're guaranteed. It's not a question of is something unexpected going to happen. It's which unexpected thing is going to happen. You right. know, it's some you, you got to be ready for it all. And maybe some would feel that they that she's over preparing for the unknown uh in this case it's it's hard it can be difficult to get that balance and and i look forward to watching these friendlies and kind of developing my own opinion on how how solid they seem uh tactically do they seem like they know what's expected of them well what i will say is that the team does seem very well drilled when they shift formations like they are you know they the team knows what they're doing um, it's not it's not a situation where we perhaps we saw with uh, Klinsman at times where we were in a back three and no one knew and they hadn't been practiced or anything like that. Uh, this team has been working on a number of different things for the past several years. Um, the um, so it's less that, um, but it's more what's the best fit for a particular personnel, and also I think at times. Um, does Alice prefer to move people who are already on the field to a different position? Um, or does she prefer to substitute someone in who may be better at a particular formation, but not, um, but not the one they started in? Right. And we shall see. Let's talk midfielders a little bit. You mentioned Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, and Rose Lavelle as our locked-in uh, starting midfielders. Lindsay Horan is someone who you've described to me as a as really crucial uh, to this team's well-being, someone who's kind of who's part of that spine of what this team does. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that, and tell me about what you saw in the She Believes Cup regarding the uh, midfield line. So uh, the She Believes Cup was definitely affected by the fact that Lindsay Horan was actually out injured the entire tournament. Uh, she picked up a quad injury. And so one of the main takeaways from the She Believes Cup is what does the U.S. do if Lindsey Horan is not on the field? Um, and I think the answer that we got is um, we're not quite sure. Uh, so, uh, but not necessarily in a, in a throw up our hands, we don't know what to do. But if she's not on the field, we have four or five different options. Which one do we pick? Uh, so Lindsay Horan, as I've said, I think before, I consider uh, to be um, maybe the best player in the world um, and certainly one of the crucial players for this team. Um, she is the, um, she's the NWSL um, reigning MVP. Uh, and she is a player who um, has really great control, vision, uh, athleticism, and also is very good at showing up late in the box and scoring goals, particularly with her head. Um, she was one of the leading goal scorers um, uh, for this past uh, NWSL season, despite playing uh, primarily a uh, defensive midfielder in a 4-2-3-1 formation. So, uh, so she's very crucial. Um, this she believes cup she was out injured, uh, and so we saw what Ellis decided to do in her absence. Much of the time was actually to pull an attacking player, often Mallory Pugh, into the midfield, um, and so uh, often the midfield three was um, Julie Ertz, um, Rose Lavelle, and Mallory Pugh. Uh, at times, we saw Crystal Dunn um, in the midfield three, um, which is a little bit more her natural position. Um, and neither of those players are kind of natural replacements for Lindsay Horan. They have a very different game, particularly Mallory Pugh, who her entire career has been primarily a winger, perhaps sometimes a sort of more central striker. Um, and there was definitely um, an adjustment 
but you saw throughout, even though there were substitutions that were happening, that repeatedly Ellis would uh, pull back attackers into the midfield. Uh, at one point, she had Tobin Heath playing as like the deep lying uh, midfielder and pushing Julie Ertz and other players further forward. Um, and only in one of those games did she play the person who I think is closest to the natural replacement for Lindsay Horan, which is Samantha Mewis. Uh, Samantha Mewis is a central box-to-box midfielder who plays for North Carolina, um, which is the team that uh, won the championship uh, this past year in the NWSL. She was an integral part of that. Um, in terms of, um, you know, sort of size and uh, athleticism and tackling, um, I think that she is, um, you know, close to Haran. She doesn't have quite the um, the sort of vision and sort of close control. Um, but it's notable to me that when we replaced Haran with the closest replacement in Mewis in that game against Brazil, which is the one game we won in the tournament, the team seemed uh, to sort of flow better. We seemed more stable in midfield um, and the, the back line seemed a little bit less exposed. So what Coach Ellis took away from that, we'll see. Um, but certainly with Haran um, on the field, uh, the U.S. is a different team Um, more danger comes from different parts of the field. She covers a lot of ground and really frees up Rose Lavelle, who is naturally an attacking midfielder, Um, who's very quick, very tricky, has a lethal left foot, um, and really has a lot of creativity to unlock defenses that might be more bunkered in. Uh, And Ellis has really been favoring her the last couple of years, um, the last competitive tournament that the U.S. was in in 2016, which was the Olympics, we ended up losing to Sweden, which had a very defensive formation and counterattacked out of it, um, and we struggled to unlock them. Uh, Roosevelt is a player who unlocks defenses like that. Um, but um, But when we play her, perhaps we lose a little bit in terms of defensive steel in the midfield, um, which again, coming back to the defensive line, if, you know, if you lose a little defensive steel in the midfield, if you've got a solid back line, maybe it matters a little bit less. Yeah. Uh, So we don't necessarily have that. And we have a situation with Lindsay Horan where it's like, do you replace her with a trusted name from another Mm -hmm. place in the field? Or do you replace her with Samantha Mewis, who is sort of Lindsay Horan light? And, uh, and it may be that, that, it sounds like, from your perspective, Samantha Mewis uh, is a better choice, if only to get the best out of uh, the other 10 players on the field who are used to having someone like Lindsey Horan playing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I would, also, um, there was, I would also say that I would somewhat also be a fan in, in certain situations, perhaps against the tougher teams, argue perhaps for a midfield three of Ertz, Haran, and Mewis. Um, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how likely we are to see it, although for a while, maybe two years ago, it did seem as if that was the direction Ellis was maybe going with that midfield three. Um, she's moved away from that the last uh, couple of years, um, and the team has been very successful, so it's not as if it was, if it was a mistake. But I think um, in these games that we've seen against the the best teams recently and we'll see what happens against Australia um, that teams that can match us now athletically and technically and on the counterattack um, there might be an argument for having a more defensively oriented midfield three um, between Ertz, Mewis and Haran uh, that's a midfield three that any team in the world is going to struggle to get through, is going to struggle to match athletically, is going to struggle to match in terms of height. And all three of them do have a nose for goal. Um, And they can take turns sort of entering the attack and sort of timing that. Um, And for, for teams that could, you know, perhaps expose us a little bit, France has at times exposed us in terms of, in terms of pace, 
Um, Australia has that. Maybe that's something I would argue for in terms of the later rounds uh, that would put us in a very strong position and get some our attacking three right and our attacking three who we haven't gotten to yeah let's talk certainly are very capable on their own let's talk forwards uh let's let's move up the field to to where the where tickets get sold right the front line uh i'm looking at this mallory mallory pew has racked up 48 caps already is that possible the last time i heard she was like a 16 year old phenom what's going on so Mallory Pugh, uh, you know, is, uh, yes, 48 cap. She's very, she's now very experienced despite still being quite young. Um, I'm not sure if she's 20 or 21, um, but she broke through with the team, I think, when she was 17 or so. Um, so she is, uh, you know, definitely a, uh, a definitive part of the team, um, but not a set part of the front three. Um, she's maybe the first one off of the bench um, or potentially might be used in the attacking midfield role um, if Rosa Bell needed to come out or something like that. But the attacking three right now is definitively Alex Morgan, uh, Tobin Heath, uh, and um, Megan Rapino, all of whom are playing uh, excellently at the moment, uh, all of whom uh, score all sorts of goals. Uh, Tobin Heath uh one on one um can make just about any defender look silly especially when they're out in space um but she also um has a can drift middle and find space and has a very uh very devastating shot Megan Rapino uh similarly um less apt to sort of beat someone with tricks on the wings um, but really times in her runs, um, very experienced, great crosser of the ball. And then Alex Morgan is a goal scorer. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to describe her attributes, but she's a she's a goal scorer, uh, you know, um, that happens in different ways. But uh, she's, you know, unparalleled um, on yeah. the team in terms of in terms of her um She's got a hundred, a hundred goals, roundabouts, a hundred goals in roundabouts, a hundred fifty games, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's a that's a ridiculous outlay. Um, she's you know she's waiting on her hundredth goal, um, and she's going to get it uh, pretty soon. Maybe in these maybe in these friendlies, she also does a great deal of running off the ball, running into space, stretching out um, back lines. Uh, and then our depth uh, in the our depth in the attack. So we mentioned Mallory Pugh. Um, also, Kristen Press um, is a veteran of the team uh, and has really been uh, pushing. I think to maybe be the first person off of the bench, uh, right neck and neck with Mallory Pugh. Uh, she has more experience. She might actually even be faster. Then Mallory Pugh, Kristen Press might be the fastest person on the team, which is scary in a team of very, very fast players. Um, but uh, and she's uh, been showing a sort of aggressiveness to go dribble and take defenders on up the middle, um, which is uh, something that is really potentially devastating to the opposition team late in games when they're already tired from chasing our other players around. Um the other question mark, I think, is uh, a name that you mentioned earlier, which is Carly Lloyd, um, the unquestioned star of the last World Cup, including the final championship game against Japan four years ago, uh, where she really was the outstanding player. Um, and she, But she is no longer a starter with this team. Previously, she was more of a midfielder, attacking midfielder, um, but nowadays she's coming off the bench often as a replacement for Alex Morgan in the central forward position. And Ellis seems to really want her there and value her there. Um, and, you know, Carly Lloyd has over 100 goals for the national team. Uh, she uh, certainly is still a very capable player. Um, but is she an out-and-out center forward in a way that works best in the way this team's formation works. I think that's a little bit of a question mark. 
Um, and I think some people have wondered about using players like Jessica McDonald, who is a relatively recent um, addition to the national team. I think she has six uh, appearances at this point, mostly in a substitute capacity, but had a very, very good season um, with North Carolina in the NWSL, I think was their leading scorer in a team that won the championship, uh, and is an out-and-out center forward. Uh, and when Ellis has used her as a substitute, given McDonald some game time, it's often been out on the wing a little bit. Um, and so I think that is the that is the question mark. Yeah, it's another one of these the forward line. It's another one of these situations in which it's like, do you go with the trusted name or or with someone mm-hmm. who fits the position? And it it is yeah. a little unfair to to McDonald to for the f- few opportunities she's had to be played out of position is is unfortunate. What what would your choice be in this case? Would you rather see McDonald as the striker? Uh, if given that, you know, a sub needs to be made for Alex Morgan, let's say. If a sub needs to be made for Alex Morgan, I think my preference would be Kristen Press. Um, if a sub needed to be made for Megan Rapino on the left, I think my preference would be to put in Mallory Pugh on the right and switch Tobin Heath over to the left, because Tobin Heath can play both sides. Um, uh, If someone needed to come in for Tobin Heath, I would probably say Mallory Pugh or potentially Kristen Press. Um, But, you know, depending on... um, Depending on the situation and formation, I think that if, say, the substitution has been used up or there was injuries and you needed a central striker... I would probably vote for Jessica McDonald because I think Carly Lloyd is by her nature a attacking midfielder or a more withdrawn striker in terms of if you were if you were to play with a four with a two strikers at the front a four four two which the U.S. really doesn't play anymore. I think that's always been her natural position throughout her entire career. Um, uh, others might disagree, but that that's always where I'd sort of prefer to see her. Uh, and so I I think that often we're kind of crowbarring her into that central forward. And when we've done it in the past, I haven't really seen it work so well. Yeah. Um, so those are my those are my thoughts in terms of the forward line. Yeah, but doubtless Carly Lloyd's someone who who's good to bring to the World Cup, e- even if let's say you were coach and decided not to play her. She's she's a uh, I imagine given two two hundred sixty nine caps with the team, she's she's vital uh, sort of locker room presence. Yes, and I would also. I mean, if I was to see her. If I was to bring her in, if I was the coach, which is a little ludicrous, right? But, um, <laughs> but I I see her more as maybe perhaps perhaps a natural replacement for Rose Lavelle. Sure, yeah. If Rose Lavelle needed to come out and we needed to unlock a defense, um, either with a shot from distance or uh, or a pass or a one-two or um, just you know rising that extra inch above someone in the box to head it home, I think that's where I would bring in Carly Lloyd. Me personally. Uh, but so, but I think we are going to see her perhaps in a more central forward capacity based on the friendlies we've seen so far. So here we are, folks. Uh, we're cruising into it. Tune in April 1st for sure uh, to see us play Australia. And then again on April 7th uh, versus Belgium. And then go ahead and tune into this podcast feed to hear uh, Kwame and I break it down and discuss everything we saw from the funny to the grotesque. We love it all. Um, any other final thoughts here, Kwame, that you want to leave people with as they get ready to enjoy these friendlies? Um, no, I just um, hope it comes through in in our discussions, and maybe it, maybe it, it didn't so well, but how really excited I am for these friendlies and for the World Cup, uh, how uh, good a team I think this is. Um, we certainly are facing challenges in a way that we perhaps haven't before. Uh, and so I'm really breaking down and getting into the, into the nitty gritty. Um, but this is a really good team. Uh, this is also a team that is full of the most fierce, uh, competitors. Uh, they expect to win all the time. 
uh, and every moment. Uh, I don't think I've ever quite seen them seen them sort of put their heads down in any way. Um, there is this sort of unshakable belief in what they're going to accomplish and what they can accomplish. Uh, and uh, and that is something that's really, it really sort of stands out if you watch this team. So in addition to watching the technical um, play and the, you know, sort of tackles and decisions, uh, that's also something that uh, that's really shines through. Yeah, just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. For those of you who've been watching the uh, men's side of things uh, with us here on We The Peeps, uh, it, it might be a strange transition. This team's good. I know it's a little weird for me. Um, so I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch them play. Um, and, and I can't wait to uh, be able to enjoy the World Cup. That's like literally my favorite thing. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a good ride. And thank you once again, Kwame, for uh, joining us on it. Folks, don't forget to check out, if you want some more WNT stuff, check out Two Drunk Fans uh, on SoundCloud. And also check out that episode of the ESPN FC podcast we referred to at the top of the show uh, to hear some more voices on this team that you know and love. I especially like it when, um, when there is music in the air. And not, not emotional music that you're playing in your mind because something because you you just just met someone cute. I'm talking about literal actual music. Music coming from mundane situations, such as people practicing piano, or someone shaking some sort of a uh a percussion instrument on the street. These are things I like, and I like how those sounds intermingle with the other sounds of mundane and everyday life. I also like it uh when when I uh, get a nice little jog going, you know, break a sweat. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to push yourself that hard. You, you, you don't have to be a Kristen Press out there to to get a nice little jog going and get the the blood pumping through the veins. And it's a, a good thing you can do for yourself. Lastly, uh, I quite like it when things plug in the way they're supposed to. There's all kinds of plugs. There's the ones with the two prongs, the ones with the three prongs, the HDMI ones, the charger magnetic ones. I like them all, and I like it when they fit the slot just right, but I don't like any of that shit as much as I absolutely love the gnats. She the peeps, yo. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people.